Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, friends. Thanks for being here and tuning in. I could not do this without you. How are things going in your neck of the woods? Now, spring has sprung here, and my nose is telling me that. Nose running, eyes watering. (laughs) It's getting warmer here. The trees are blooming as well as the weeds. So I made the decision to hire a landscaper to do the yard this summer. I I just can't bear to to do it another summer in the heat. I needed help. The weeds start coming up and anyway, yes, that's uh, expensive to hire a landscaper, but we We'll be eating rice and beans, but I won't have to get up at six o'clock every weekend and mow and weed wag and pull weeds. So amen to that, right? So I've also hired somebody to help me with my social media posts. So I want to ask you guys to please like or comment on the posts on social media. You know, if you don't like the posts, Give me some feedback on that. You know, I'm paying good money for this stuff. So if I'm not putting out quality content for you, then I need to know about that. Of course, my my handle is DSW Ministries, just like the sign behind me. And I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram and of course, YouTube. So connect with me. Talk to me, folks. I want to hear from you. So I've got a lot of interesting guests on the schedule coming up to be interviewed. So examples of that would be a drumming therapist. Does that sound interesting? And I will be continuing my personal story here sprinkled in. I know we were doing that at one point I've been flooded with requests to be on the show from other guests. And so taking a pause from my personal story and interviewing the guest because they have a, or they have a deadline that they're trying to keep. So in the works, I'm also planning a series on how to study the Bible for survivors. I will be talking about that myself as well as inviting other folks that have more letters after their name than I do that know what they're talking about and give you some resources on how to study the Bible for yourself. So that's all coming up. And hey, I'm planning a Zoom meeting for the first weekend of June. So I need you guys to sign up for my newsletter so you guys can get notified and get that link it's really difficult to do it on social media and on the podcast because it's 
dated. So stay tuned for the actual date. It most likely will be a Saturday or Sunday. I want to include as many people in various time zones as I can. So in order to do that, it will most likely be early morning on the weekends for me. So stay tuned. We do have a wonderful guest for you today. Soroya Brown. Isn't that a pretty name? I was listening to her podcast and what a heart-rending story and such a beautiful lady. She was an orphan and was homeless for two years and had cancer three times. Can you believe that? She is 27 years old. And so she's also suffered numerous abuses on top of that. She is one strong lady, let me tell you. And so she's here today to share her story. She is from the Bronx and she is the host of Kintsuji Talks podcast. She is a Christian singer and worship leader. So here's what she says about herself. Her little bio here. From the age of five, I've experienced trauma, abuse of all kinds, and many trials and tribulations. I suffered multiple suicide attempts and lived to tell my story of being a fighter and how my faith has been challenged and grown throughout my whole life. I want to be the one to show people in and outside of the Christian faith that you can and will make it through it and use my life as an example. Now, in my life, I am an advocate for mental health illness awareness in the Christian space because the stigma that still exists needs to go away. I hope to be able to aid in bridging the gap between the world of mental health illness and Christianity. So you will definitely enjoy this conversation that I had with Soroya today. So here she is. Now please welcome Soroya Brown to the show. Thanks Hi. for coming on today. I am so honored and you're welcome. <laughs> wow. And you have such a beautiful name. Does that have a special meaning? Do you know? Um, my name, Soroya, actually is um, derived from the name Sarai in the Bible, um, and the Hebrew root of it means princess, so that's where my name comes from. All right, princess. Well, I'm named after a princess, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I grew up in the, during that time period, so, and you're a Bronx native, and you love your Bronx Yes. <laughs> and so I've never been been to that section of New York. I've been in upper state New York around the Finger Lakes. But so tell us, what do you love most about your city? I mean, what do you like to do in the Bronx and your neighborhood for fun? Um, yes, I am a Bronx native. Uh, I will love the Bronx till the day I die. Things for fun that I like to do. I would probably say uh, go to different shopping areas, look for like 
local businesses that have like really good food spots. Like a lot of like really cool food spots have opened up in the Bronx. So I like to check those out. I think it's very important to support local businesses or where you're from. So I try Mm -hmm. to do that as much as I can. Um, Also like just hanging out with my friends. Like we'll walk around, we'll like go to the park, um, like find like a local like coffee shop or something or like local pizza shop and have some like good old New York style pizza. Um, So yeah, I would say those those are some of my favorite things that I like to do. Awesome. We support our local businesses here. They, a lot of restaurants have closed, of course, because of the pandemic and the supply chain issues. And we went to our, our favorite deli. Uh, it's a, a Jewish Chicago deli here. We were surprised they were still open and they, they told us, well, we had to reduce our menu because we couldn't get certain specialty items that we're known for. And they have really good food and we're really happy that they were still in business. So we're over there at least once a month to eat. <laughs> so I appreciate you coming on today. I, I so enjoy your, your podcast and your, your story is so touching and powerful. And we're going to hear about that shortly. You've, wow, you've gone through a lot of stuff. So (laughs) let's start off from the beginning of your story. If we could, you were adopted, right? So what was that experience like? So um, me being adopted, I actually didn't find out I was adopted until I was 17. So very late into my life is when I found out I was adopted. Um, but uh, growing up, I didn't like know I was adopted, uh, even though I was around like my biological family, I was around like my siblings. Um, my siblings lived with my uh, biological grandmother from my father's side. I would have went with them. It's just that my grandmother didn't have enough room in her Mm -hmm. house, which is what led me to being adopted by my mother who raised me. Um, But um, I'm happy that she didn't like keep me from seeing them when I was younger. Um, But I was under the impression that like my brothers and sisters were my cousins. Um, So to fast forward to me finding out I was adopted, For like a few years, I had like stopped talking to that side of my family, not because anything bad happened. It's just how naturally you just kind of like lose contact with somebody. Um, One of my sisters had found me on Facebook and I said, oh, um, and now again, up until this point, I was under the impression that they were like my cousins, not like my actual siblings. Mm -hmm. So I see that she reached out to me and I'm like, oh, like it's been so long since I've seen them. And then she like connected me to everyone else. Um, And I was and like, again, still under the impression that these are my cousins. So I was like happy that I was like, oh, I'm like reconnected with family. Like this is fun. Then she um, gives me the phone number and Facebook to who is my biological mother. So I go to her profile and I like faintly recognize her face, um, faintly. Then I got a message from her and she was like, oh my God, like, I miss you so much. Like, you look just like me and Shayna. Shayna's one of my uh, sisters. 
And I was confused by that. Then I just put it to the back of my head that it's like, I mean, I guess like y'all my cousins, so we must look alike. I don't know. So <laughs> then I go to then I go to my mother's room. Uh, her room was next door to my bedroom. And I tell my mom that I was like, oh, like I reconnected with like so-and-so today, like the family. And she's like, oh, that's so good to hear, honey. And then, and then I was like, oh, like I also reconnected with uh, Cheryl. Cheryl is my, my real, my biological mother's name. Mm-hmm. Soon, soon as I said her name, it's like her whole attitude changed. Like she just became super angry. Oh. And she was like, she was like, give me her number now. And I'm like, okay, okay. Because I never see my mother get that angry, like, so quickly. And then I just go to the room. I'm minding my business. I'm on my phone. Next thing I know, I hear yelling and cursing from the other room. Is my mom talking to Cheryl. And she's like, you don't deserve to be back in her life. You didn't even want her in the first place. And all this oh, other no. stuff. And, I'm, and then I, of course, am worried. Because, like, anytime my mother yelled, her high blood pressure went up. And I would have to be the one to take care of her. So I'm running to the room. And at this point, I'm crying because I see her crying. And I'm like, what is, I'm at this point, I'm just confused. I'm like, what is going on? Like, you need to explain something to me because something isn't right. And I'm crying because I'm like overwhelmed. Yeah. And then, then at that point, she just sits me down on the bed and she tells me that I'm adopted. And that the woman that she was talking to was my biological mother. And the reason she was talking to her like that was because when she was pregnant with me and with all my other siblings, she was on drugs. Mm-hmm. And so she pretty much lost custody of her kids because she was a, um, a drug user. And that news, it, uh, it, it definitely uh, it hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting. Because um, at that point, I was a senior in high school. I was 17 years old. Um, to know that like the life that I was living, it felt just like a lie. And I was mad at my mother for a very long time, which Mm -hmm. is not like me because me and my mother had a very close relationship. And that's that's, that's something big to keep from you though. (laughs) I mean, most people find out they were adopted like maybe when they're in elementary school. And I was mad at her for the fact that, like, why would you keep something like this from me for so long? Like, you could, like, you, like, that was just the main thing that upset me. And it's just, and I told her that, I was like, you really didn't think I would ever find out? Like, or, like, you didn't think to tell me when I was younger and not, like, wait so long? That was, like, it, that the, the news came out that it had to come out this way, Um yeah so so I was upset with her for a long time about that so that was definitely something that um it rocked me it rocked me for a bit yeah that's that's definitely understandable uh Facebook is a blessing and a curse I've found out some things on Facebook that I didn't want to find out (laughs) there's no real privacy on the internet but I know in your story that somehow you wound up becoming homeless and moving in with your brother I mean what happened there Mm -hmm. I had lost my childhood home uh a very complicated situation dealing with like section eight and stuff like that ended up losing my childhood home to where I moved in with my brother uh one of my brothers um he was very abusive 
he was physically abusive, sexually abusive, and emotionally abusive to me. Mm. Um, and we were living in his girlfriend's house. So it wasn't his house. It was his girlfriend's house. His girlfriend was nice and his girlfriend had kids, had two kids and a brother that she was taking care of because he was autistic. I believe, I believe it was autism that he had. Mm-hmm. They were all nice. It was just my brother that I was dealing with that was like a living hell. Um, and then it just got to a point where I found out that he was trying to take money from me because of me being adopted, I was still getting checks that my mother would receive from the government because when you adopt a child, you get like financial help from the government. Um, So I found out that he was trying to steal that from me and then also found out that he had got on drugs again. So I connected the two that is like, oh, he's probably trying to fund his (laughs) drug habit. And so with that, I decided to to leave from there um I actually stayed with with my aunt for a bit everything was going okay like I was helping her out financially because I was working at the time but then I ended up uh, losing that job and then was like trying to find uh, another one I eventually found another one uh, so I was able to like help her out financially again then uh she had family coming in from out of town and uh they were going to like stay in a hotel I think it's for like a wedding or something I don't remember the family event or what it was and then she offered to like to have them stay in her house which pretty much left she pretty much left me no choice that it's like you have to you have to leave you have to find somewhere to go and I had nowhere else to go so my only option was to go into the shelter system so from there I was homeless for two years Mm. And I wanted to ask you a question when you said that your mom would receive money for adopting you. Mm-hmm. Is that just New York that does that? Because I've heard of, you know, foster parents getting money to raise the children, but I've never heard of an adoptive parent receiving money. Is that typical? I'm not sure if that's just a New York thing. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's like a multi-state thing like because I am aware of like the the foster parents getting it um because I was in the foster care system so her adopting me I guess technically made her a foster parent that is what uh, made her like eligible to receive like the money from the government to like help take care of me oh okay that makes sense because I was like if people were paying for adoptive parents I think there would be a lot more parents adopting children that need homes but you know uh what what were the homeless shelters like I can only say from my experience of like being in New York City shelters I don't know what shelters are like in other uh, states in America but I was in in the span of two years I was in four different shelters Um, the first one I was in is what would be called a general intake shelter. So a general intake shelter is the shelter that, um, they pretty much keep you there for a certain amount of time and they try to figure out where else to place you based on like, if you have a job, if you need like medical assistance or something like that. I stayed in that shelter for about like, for about a week, actually. 
um, because I was working at the time. So, and they saw that I was working. So they moved me to a shelter for working people. That shelter, this was the goal was to like get you into some type of housing because they saw that you have income. The experience in the, the first shelter I was in, it was uh, pretty scary because they decided to put me on the top floor of the shelter and there was no elevator. So I had to carry my suitcase full of stuff like all the way up there by myself like no one helped me mm. and they put me on the floor they put me on the floor with people who had a uh, serious mental health issues mm. so my first night there I had to deal with the woman screaming threatening that she was gonna stab everybody um in their sleep every night that I was there until I left I had to deal with that it was uh, quite scary. Then uh, when I went into the working shelter, um, it was a bit nicer, nicer as far as like looks because uh, the shelter itself was um, converted into that when it used to be like an old apartment building. Mm -hmm. And I was in that shelter for about a year. This is like 20, it was 2016. So from like 2016 to to yeah, to 2017 I was there like a year and a half this is when this point in my life this is when like a lot of things just started like taking a turn for the worst um my depression got really bad at this time um now at this time I didn't really know what depression was didn't know what it meant I just knew that I was dealing with emotions and stuff um, feelings and thoughts that I've been dealing with for a long time because I dealt with it as a child too. Also around this time, I had got diagnosed with cancer for the first time in total. I, in total, I've had it three times. So I was dealing with this while being homeless. And wow. um, the job that I did have, I lost it because um, mm. I just kept calling out because uh it's like my my life and energy was just being sucked away from me and it's just like every day I just like stopped caring less and less then there was one day where um I actually had an attempt and it had been a while since I had an attempt and when that happened I was like okay there's something wrong I need to get help for this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I made the decision to put myself into um, a hospital I voluntarily did it that was in November 2016, and I stayed there for two weeks, two weeks before my 21st birthday, actually, because my birthday is November 30th. So then when I came back out, I was still homeless. Um, yeah. Um, from there, they had transferred me to another general intake shelter. And then the next day I got, um, I sat down and was interviewed to possibly be moved into a shelter for people with mental health problems. Um, and they asked if I was interested and I said, absolutely, because I definitely have some type of like mental health problems. Mm -hmm. So when I, um, when I got out of the hospital after being hospitalized, they did diagnose me with depression and anxiety. Then about like a few days later, um, this is like some, this is like the, like 20, yeah, 2018 now. So this is like summer of, no, not 2018, summer of 2017. Summer of 2017, August, yeah, August of 2017, I get moved into the shelter 
for um for mental health issues this shelter um they had a psychiatrist on site they had a doctor on site medication was given to people like daily they had like a little like pharmacy area and everything um and there was a caseworkers on site caseworkers job is pretty much to work with the person to like get them out of homelessness and to make sure that they are okay and that they're on track to like getting done what needs to be done me and my caseworker she immediately started getting me um interviews for housing so how um an interview for housing would go um for me i went on three different interviews so the first one that i went on was actually where i live now um i went to the building and then one of the people there would ask me they asked me basic questions to pretty much uh to pretty much check to see if i'm like able to like live on my own that is like i'm able to do things like on my own because i would be living by myself mm-hmm. um like they ask me questions of like oh like how often do you do laundry do you know how to cook and then they wanted me to give details of how i would cook a specific dish um do i know what to do in case of a of a um like a, a fire drill or if a fire happens in the building, things like that. Yeah, so I went on the first interview, that was for where I live now. Um, second interview was for a dormitory style building. Um, dormitory literally meaning like a, like how there's like the dorms on like a college campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That half of the building is the men, the other half is the women. And um, I would have gotten my own room with like, my own bed like like space for clothes and a refrigerator inside the room but then there was communal spaces where I had to share so the bathroom I had to share the place to cook my food I would have had to share the place to like sit down and eat or like hang out I would have had to share with other people the reason I didn't go for that one was because they wanted me to pay $600 a month when at that point I had no job and I had no income yeah, which a lot of money <laughs> Yeah, which is like, it made no sense to me or my caseworker. That is like, they see I have no income. I don't know why they would want me to pay like $600 a month, but I have no income. And I was getting assistance from the government, like with food stamps and like cash assistance, but that was, I was barely getting by with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the the last place that I interviewed for was for a studio apartment in the Bronx. And um, I did all the paperwork for that one because I was like, I wanted to like be back in the Bronx um, because I just, I missed it because it's it's my home. Uh, So I did all the paperwork for that one, but the only reason why I didn't go for that one was because on their end, they were taking too long with the paperwork. Um, During the time where we were like waiting for them to like possibly like hit us back to say that we got accepted or whatever, um, I had got a letter in the mail saying that I needed to attend an important meeting about like housing. So I was like, okay, I have to go because I don't want to like miss out on anything of like me, like possibly not getting housing or whatever. So me and my caseworker go and I'm under the like assumption that I'm thinking it's going to be like a one-on-one type of meeting, but it ended up being a, a group meeting with a whole bunch of other people and their caseworkers. I was a bit confused by that, but I was like, okay. Then there's this lady that comes around and she hands each one of us this like packet. It was in like a like a manila uh, envelope. 
And then these other people come in and they start like a, a slideshow. And they said that, oh, if you're here, congratulations, you got accepted for section eight. And I'm like, what? Like, I, <laughs> I was, I mean, my case was shocked because at this point at this time um they weren't accepting new people for section eight they had like closed it shut it down whereas like no new applicants like nothing like that so the fact that I was like somehow eligible for section eight like it baffled both of us and um must then, be a god thing right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um uh, what is it that um then when we got back to the shelter like my caseworker had looked up of like how I was even eligible for section eight and one of the main reasons was because I was a foster kid I was in the foster care system for a little bit and because of the fact of like my medical history and like me being so young that was also a factor as well and because of me being accepted to section eight that is what got me accepted to the housing that I live in now so the move-in process was like very, very quick. Um, I got accepted to move in at like the, the ending, like the end of February, 2018. And I moved in in like March 14th. Um, so it took like the whole process, like two weeks or something like that. Oh, that's um, fast. Yeah. So now um, I currently live in Brooklyn. I don't live in the Bronx anymore, but I currently live in Brooklyn. And I have a quaint little studio apartment. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, it's all things to, to God that he was able to like provide for me in that yeah. way, which I didn't think was possible. Um, so yeah. Amen. That's, that is really exciting and, and interesting to hear how that process goes. Um, I, I had been homeless at one point in college. I stayed at people from church. A lot of people in my church where I went to college opened up their doors. I think I stayed at three or four people's houses. So the church didn't reach out and help you in any way during your your trials there? I didn't have a lot of people know from the church that I was attending at the time that I was dealing with that. Um, the... I was, I was in a season at that point where I was starting to like see things about my church that were wrong. One of the things about my former church was that there was a gossip culture. Yeah. Um, and that was something that I didn't like. So there was very few people that I told that I was even struggling with that or dealing with that. Um, there was at one point, um, uh, one of the elders of the church, she was willing to have me live with her. Um, but God had intervened to make it kind of like a long story short, God had intervened and said no, mm -hmm. because he had wanted me to be independent on him and him only. Wow. Um, and, and so, I mean, I look back at that moment now and I'm thankful because, um, yeah, I could have got like an easy way out and I could have lived with that lady for the church, but, um, the that situation really showed me to like lean on God in ways that I didn't think I would have to. Wow, that's incredible. Um, tell us more about what your relationship with God was like at that time. Uh, when did when did your faith become personal for you? My relationship with God at that point 
I'll say, I'll start off by saying that I gained a personal relationship with God at the age of 18. Um, I did the prayer of salvation when I was 12, but like my like personal relationship with God didn't start with him until I was 18. And at this point, I was like just really growing in my faith in him and my understanding of him, of just knowing who he is and what he wants for my life. Um, I was heavily involved in ministry. I was part of the, the worship team. I was a Bible class leader. I was a youth leader. And me dealing with these different circumstances of like me being homeless and dealing with the cancer and, and all this other stuff. And then, then uh, the church that I was attending, I had left that church and I didn't go to church for three years. Um, there were times where my faith definitely wavered um, with the different things that I was dealing with, but um, I was always reminded that God never left my side. Um, I was always reminded that in those moments where it's like, Whereas like, I could be asking God of just like, why are you doing this to me? Like, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. he instead wanted me to figure out of like, what is the purpose behind this? Like, what is it that you're trying to teach me? Or what is it that you're trying to do through me for either myself or for other people? Um, yeah. And um, I mean, even to this day, that is something that I still wrestle with. Um, Don't we all, sister? <laughs> we all struggle <laughs> with that. Oh. Yeah, that is something that I still uh, wrestle with to this day. But um, my relationship with God, uh, I would say it's like, it's very, it's very open. And I ask God questions a lot like not in a way of like me questioning him, but it's just, I consider myself to be a very inquisitive person. I feel like I've always been that way. I always like figuring out like why things are the way they are, like how do things work? Connecting to just like everything that I've been through and how it's affected me today. Um, like really just trying to figure out, okay, like what is, what is what was the purpose behind all of that? Like, God, what did you what do you want me to do with all this? Like, how do you want me to, to like, to work with this? Um, mm-hmm. So I would, I would say that's how, like, my relationship with God looks right now. Yeah, your, your, your faith is really inspiring. And to me, I definitely have to exercise my faith muscles a little bit more here. Uh, and we're, we're going to go into your, the story you had, another really traumatic event that happened to you in the midst of of all this stuff going on you you found yourself pregnant when you were homeless and you had to make some really brutal decisions can you share a little bit about that with us yes absolutely um so this happened in 2016 i want to say this is like summer going into fall of 2016 that this happened my the brother that I was living with for for a short amount of time before I became homeless the one that was abusive uh he had sent people after me to hurt me um 
he has sent three different people after me. And uh, the first person that he has sent after me just like, just kind of like jumped me, just like beat me up. The second person, uh, the second person beat me up and then raped me. The third person did the same thing. And with that, um, the third person, the, the, the second rape, I ended up becoming pregnant. Um, mm. I didn't find out when I, when I went for like my uh, regular checkup at the doctor. Um, the doctor was like, oh, I see that you're one month pregnant. And I'm like, what? I didn't know. I didn't know that I was pregnant. Oh. Um, and up until that point, it had already been like one month. And then I didn't tell the doctor in that moment, but in my head, it clicked that it's like, oh, because of the rape that happened, that's probably why I'm pregnant. In that moment, the doctor was like giving me all this information about an OBGYN, about like prenatal care and stuff like that. And walking out the doctor's office, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like I, how old was I? I was, I was 20 going on 21. I was homeless. Mm -hmm. I had no job. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, I was not right. Spiritually, I was, I definitely was not okay. Just everything about that situation was just wrong. And so I had made the decision to get an abortion. Uh, The guilt that came with that did last for a very long time. But, um, knowing that God did forgive me for it is what helped ease the pain of it a little bit. Um, and I know that there is like uh, Christians, other Christians out there who will not agree with the, with the decision that I made. But um, my response to that is that you don't know what you would have done unless you were in that position unless you were in my shoes like you can't say that's like oh that can never be me and it's like that could actually absolutely be you Mm. like God just chose for it not to be you for that particular reason or 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 something like that um like yes as a Christian do I believe that abortion is wrong yes but for situations like mine where I was sexually abused and I was in no way shape or form able to take care of a child and I had no resources I had no resources available to me so Mm -hmm. I I did what I thought was like the only thing that I could do was to um was to abort the child Mm. I appreciate you telling that story and You know, a lot of us would say we are pro-life. I mean, I would say I'm pro-life, but I'm, you know, I was sexually active at a young age. I never got pregnant, maybe by the grace of God. I've never been assaulted, anything like that. I've never been sexually abused in that way. I'm learning as being an advocate is there's, there is no black and white situation, especially in trauma. And there are people who are militantly pro-life, but they're not even thinking about the mother that's raising the child. They're not, they don't care about the mother. Where is she going to live? Where is she going to get a job? How is she going to feed her, her child? Um, she's living in a horrible situation. There aren't resources 
to help the mother, but they're all talking about the baby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have to look at it as God, God is love and God is merciful and God knows your situation, right? I don't think it's, it is our place to judge somebody when they're in a horrible situation and they had to make a terrible choice. You know, that, that baby, I'm sure you agree, is in heaven right now and she'll be there or he will be there to see you when, when you meet in the next life. Uh, I mean, you, you agree that, that the Lord is, is loving and merciful. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, um, yeah. Like of how I said, just like, just knowing that God forgave me for that, that it helped ease the guilt that I dealt with for a very long time. And I didn't tell anybody of that until like, till like a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Because I held on, I held on to that for so long. Because I, I was, I was ashamed. There was, there's a lot of shame that came with it. And um, during that time when it, when it like first happened, I was in a relationship. I was in a very new relationship, and I was hesitant to tell him. I didn't tell him until only like a few years ago, because of the fear that he would leave me. The fear that he wouldn't want to be with a woman who is pregnant by another man, mm-hmm. let, alone, let alone someone who got pregnant through rape, because there's a lot of men out here that aren't willing to take care of a child that isn't theirs. Yeah, that's true. Um, but uh, with me, like, finally sharing that, I mean, like, nothing but support and love that my boyfriend showed me uh and the people that I did tell as well they were like nothing short of supportive nothing short of like just showing like love to me um and understanding Mm. and things of that nature um I'm so glad you had had some people to support you and that you were able to talk to somebody um that's that's a terrible secret it's a heavy secret to hold just to yourself like, yeah, I wouldn't have told my church if that would have happened to me because I, yeah, because of the, the stigma of that is still pretty great. You get kicked out of the church or your your parents would kick you out of your house. Um, I don't think my parents would have kicked me out. They're, they're uh, a lot more forgiving, but, um, but thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of listeners may have gone through a similar situation and they need to know that there there is life after something so tragic and there is grace there is love there is forgiveness and um you got your new place you're out of the shelter let's talk about your 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 cancer you're only 27 right now right yes you've had cancer three times i i've never met anybody that had cancer that often at your age you know i I know some people much older that gone through that that sounds really scary the type of cancer that i had was called a b-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia which is a type of blood cancer and um 
when I was first diagnosed with it in 2016. The first diagnosis was actually like the answer of something that I was, I was like trying to find the answer for because um, I was born anemic. Um, I've always had issues with my blood since I was younger. Um, deficient in pretty much any type of vitamin you could possibly think of. Um, but then as I got older, I just noticed symptoms and things that were happening to my body that didn't fall in line with just like being anemic. And so I started going to different doctors and asking for them to run different blood tests on me for like any type of blood disease disorder like that you could ever like think of. And they all refuse to do it until um, one doctor finally said yes, who is still my blood doctor today. She was willing to run the test on me. And through running the test is when we found out that I had a cancer. And um, uh, the fact, I mean, going through it one time is one thing. Uh, it's, it's bad enough. <laughs> bad enough. Um, going through it three times was something that no one saw coming. Uh, I, of course, did not see it coming. Um, is that hereditary in your family? Do you know? I did find out that it is hereditary. Um, my grandmother, she had brain cancer. Uh, my grandmother from my father's side. Um, I found out that my biological mother, she apparently has cancer in her back. Uh, my brother is dealing with a, um, a very progressive form of cancer at the moment. Mm. And I have a niece who went through the same type of cancer that I did. Um, so it is, uh, definitely, um, definitely hereditary. Unfortunately, it's hereditary. I think what made it hard for me, the hardest part about it was the fact that I had to go through it alone. I already had a very weak immune system. So all the treatment that I had to get, I pretty much had to be in like solitary confinement. I had to be in a room with no windows. Um, the, the, um, treatments that I would get, I would get dialysis, I would get the, the, um, the chemo, uh, radiation treatment through an IV drip in my arm. And infusion? Well, yes. Okay. Um, well, I first actually received it in pill form because, um, they didn't, they were trying to cause um, less harm to my physical body as possible. Mm -hmm. So they gave it to me in pill form first, um, which the only annoying part about that was like having to take those pills. I had to take those pills like three times a day. Um, and they were very strong doses of the medicines that I was taking. Um, I did that for the first and second time that I got the, the cancer. The second time that the cancer had came back was in 2018. Then for the third time that the cancer came back, funny enough, the cancer had came back. Um, I found out that it came back on my birthday, November 30th of 2020. Oh. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I found out that it came back on my birthday. So I had to spend my, um, how old did I turn in 2020? So like 25, I had to spend my 25th birthday in the hospital from like the, um, the break of dawn to like all the way to the end of the day. Um, getting a uh, very very strong chemo treatment like the third time was like the strongest that that it came back that it hit me um the treatment for this they decided to do the iv drip in my arm and um along with dialysis as well for the for the blood it being 2020 that's when the pandemic hit so um a lot of things as far as like who's allowed in a hospital and not were different. I was allowed no visitors at all. Anytime I went in for treatment, um, I was again put in like a very like isolated part of the hospital. Um, none of the rooms had windows. All the staff had to wear like hazmat suits around oh, me. Man. It just, it made me feel very, very alone. And mm -hmm. um I didn't even have like people come to my house or visit me. Um, I mean, just the fact that one it was it was COVID was very high at the time, and I just didn't want people seeing me of how I looked. Like I I was I was just I was I was sick. Did was you lose sick. your hair and stuff? And um, I did lose some of my hair, not all of it. I would say like more so like around like the edges of my hair, like in the back of my head, like it started thinning out, but I didn't like fully lose it. Um, what is it when, when I first got the first time with cancer, I lost a lot of weight. And then like the second time with cancer, my weight was very up and down. Then the same with the third time, my weight was very up and down. Yeah, now that um, I'm in remission now, I've been in remission since, um, Yay. <laughs> I've been in remission since uh, June 1st of 2021. Um, you mentioned that you never had like a party or celebrate when the treatment is over. Why no. is that? Right. <laughs> Um, the fear that it would come back is what held me back from celebrating. Um, I mean, even still to this day, there was like people ask me, that was like, why, why don't you like do something for like the anniversary of like you being in remission? It's like, I want to, but then I still have to live with the fear that it's like, it could come back at any moment. Because the fact that I got it three times, I'm at high risk now for it coming back a fourth time. Yeah. Um, which is like, which is like, I know I should be more hopeful about something like that, but it's like, I have to be realistic in, in thinking that way. I mean, cause like, I'm happy that God healed me of it three times, but then it's like, what if it comes back a fourth time? And I have to like, spiritually, mentally, emotionally prepare myself for that. Like I had to do the other time. So um, that's what, that's what held me back from celebrating. Yeah, whether whether you celebrate or not, uh, isn't going to affect whether the cancer comes back or not. I'm assuming, you know, Bobby McFerrin's song, "Don't Worry, Be Happy." <laughs> I think every day is a gift, especially in these times where, you know, people have 
have died. Oh, we've lost a lot of people. My brother died in December of 2020, not from cancer, but he had a um, kidney disease mm. and then got COVID on top of that. Uh, he was 53 when he died. And yeah, that was that was devastating. We find little little ways to celebrate him as much as we can. My my husband lost both of his parents to cancer when he was 20. Mm. Bone cancer and uh, lymphoma, I believe. That was really hard for him. He lost his parents at such a young age. And so he obviously, because his parents had cancer that he is at high risk. So I'm always after him about, you know, we need to exercise and, you know, eat right and keep our stress level down. And, but, you know, we try and, and, and celebrate each day that we have together. That's, that's all that we can do, right? Uh, we have no guarantees for tomorrow. I don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. I could, you know, get hit by a bus for, for all we know, but God gives us each day to enjoy. I'd like to talk about your healing journey. You talked on your podcast so eloquently about healing. I'd like you to share with our audience about that. What does healing look like for you? And, and Healing for me, um, I would say in one way, it looks like me still being able to, to love the way that I love to show love to people, even though they've hurt me, even though they've done whatever they have done to me. So being able to show love, still being able to like show kindness to other people. Um, healing is, uh, well, healing has been um, a very ugly process. Healing will always be ugly, though. There's nothing pretty about healing. <laughs> no, it's not that pretty. <laughs> like, there's that, that's something that I want to, like, make it clear for the listeners. Like, there is nothing ever pretty about healing. There's nothing ever pretty about the process of healing, the process of forgiveness, the process of just any process that you go through. There's nothing pretty about it. Um. And uh, a big part of the healing process for me was just realizing of how, how broken I was, um, that there was just a lot of different pieces to me that I never thought to put together because I didn't know how to put them together. And then when I would try to put them together, it would hurt because I was doing it on my own and not putting it in God's hands. And like in God's hands, I guess it will hurt a little bit, but it'll hurt less than me trying to do it on my own. Uh, that's a, a big reason why uh, my podcast name is Kintsugi, because Kintsugi is a, um, a Japanese art form where they take like broken pottery, the pieces of it, and they put it back together with uh, melted down gold. Mm. And um, the philosophy behind that is that, like, before it was broken, it was still beautiful. But in its brokenness, it's still beautiful. Even though you can, like, visibly see the brokenness, it's still beautiful. Because it's being held together by the gold. And the gold is what makes it more beautiful than it was before. In the same way that 
God is able to take us in our brokenness, in our mess. And he still sees that as beautiful, even though we may see it as a total opposite. And he's able to, to, to use that for his glory, um, no matter how that may look for, for uh, whichever person that he is, um, that he is working through. Mm. Yeah, people think that healing is, oh, you just just forgive and move on. Why are you dwelling on all this stuff? You know, why do you need to think about all that stuff that you went through? Well, <laughs> if you don't deal with it, if you don't process it, it will definitely come up. It will manifest itself in some way, right? Yeah, for me, that um, it's manifested itself in uh, in the fact that I do have like a mental illness diagnosis now. I have depression, anxiety, and I have borderline personality disorder. I have triggers because of traumatic experiences that I went through. Um, that is how it's manifested itself. It's manifested in uh negative ways that I would talk down about myself and like think about myself and like all that stuff I'm having to relearn um but it comes up in different ways for everybody so you have any advice for the the listeners that are going through maybe some of the things you've gone through and going through that healing process what would be your your best advice for them um my best advice for them. The, uh, I'll actually, I'll actually say something that from when I got cancer for the second time. This is something my niece told me. The same niece that used to have the same cancer that I did. Oh, yeah. She. So it was one day that I was at her mother, my sister's house. We were just hanging out, chilling, and that that same niece she comes up to me, and she's like. And she's like, auntie, are you sick again? And I said, yes, I am. And she said that, oh, that's a good thing though. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, did, did I hear you correctly? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and then I asked her that is like, that's a good thing. Why? And she said, because um, she said, because broken things and hurt things get healed all the time and I said well what do you mean by that she said that our like she brought up our grandma um the one that passed away from brain cancer she's healed now because she's in heaven um what is it my brother at the time he was in remission before it came back she said that uncle that uncle was uncle was sick and now he's healed and then she said that I was sick and now I'm healed. And she said, you were sick before you got healed. So you're sick now, which means you're going to get healed again. That sick things always get healed. Bad things always get better. And I didn't think I needed to hear that, especially coming from, at that time, my eight to nine-year-old niece. Hey, you little pipsqueak, listen <laughs> here. um yeah it was uh it that is that is the advice that I would share 
is that sick things always get healed. Bad things always get better. It may not get better the way that you want it to or in the quickness of how you would want something to get better, but it does get better. It does get better. You just have to put, you have to put away your own understanding of how you would want a situation to go. And you have to put your understanding in, in God's hands because God is like, God is really the only one that knows what to do in whatever situation that you're dealing with. And you have every right to feel how you feel. It could be anger, it could be sadness, it could could be jealousy. You have every right to feel how you feel. But at the end of the day, put all those emotions in God's hands because he's the only one that knows how to properly fix them. Whew, sounds like you have a great, a great relationship with the Lord right now. <laughs> it's not perfect, but um, but I'm I am forever grateful that he is that he is a part of my life. I would I would not be here. I literally and figuratively speaking would not be here if it um if it wasn't for him. Well, this this has been incredible. Did, did we leave anything out that you wanted to say? I know we covered a lot of ground here. <laughs> um, I think the only other thing is just for like if they want to listen to my podcast, it's Kintsugi Talks Pod. Um, it's spelled K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I Talks Pod. Available on Anchor, Spotify. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can find that also on Instagram, Kasugi Talks Pod. Um, you can follow my personal Instagram at Soroya underscore the underscore vessel. My mental health advocate page, A underscore unique underscore vessel. Um, yeah, I yeah. think that's the, that's the only other thing. Um, other than like other than stuff from my story no I think we covered everything Um, (laughs) yeah and you go into more detail like the long version on your podcast so you definitely want to listen to her podcast and follow her and you have so many nuggets of truth and and you speak from the heart Your, your story is so powerful and I know that what you've shared with us today is going to help a lot of people. So appreciate you so much coming on this show and being authentic and real with us. Keep in touch. God bless you. Yes. God bless you too. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on a show like this. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.